Guys, if you could turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. It's where we were last week, and it's where we're going to pick up today. Um, If you were here last week, uh, a church planter that's church planting with the Christian Missionary Alliance somewhere in the Ohio River Valley, um, David uh, Smock, his wife Meryl Smock, some of you know them as well. Um, But David preached last week, and I was so moved and challenged by his sermon. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you should go back and listen to the sermon. But God was really speaking to me through his message, and I left that message thinking uh, we should spend a few weeks considering Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so uh, we're going to spend just these few weeks of Advent. That's, that's what these candles are about. If you don't know what they're about, it's okay. Traditionally, the church lights these candles. Um, churches all across the world light candles like this to kind of signal that we are waiting uh, for Jesus' coming. Advent is a time when we look back to Jesus' first coming, but we also look in anticipation to a second coming. The song today was perfect, um, you know, talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, um, yeah, during this season of Advent, we're going to focus on Mary. Now, there are some, you know, traditions in the Christian church that probably put too much emphasis on Mary. Um, But I'm really not going to speak to that today because that's really not our problem in the tradition that we're in. We're probably part of a historic Christian tradition that doesn't talk about her enough, right? So, um, Actually, the whole time I've been here, I don't think we've ever done a series just on Mary. And, you know, she did Mother Jesus. So I th- it's worth talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's worth talking about together, right? How, how God used this woman, right? So, um, so we're going to spend just these few weeks um, reflecting on her life and uh, leading up to Christmas Eve. And I hope you'll be with us uh, Christmas Eve as well. So to start... Today, we're going to begin by reading Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now, this is the same passage. It'll be on the screen as well. This is the same passage that uh, David read to us last week. So we're going to start there, but then we're going to take her, her story a little bit further in the gospel of Luke. So it's on the screen behind me. You can follow along, uh, but let's go ahead and read this passage together. Let me get there. Real fast. Okay. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and just a reminder, Elizabeth is related to Mary, um, and she is also experiencing a miraculous birth in this same vicinity time period because um, Elizabeth is too old for childbearing, but God has given her the ability to give birth, and she's going to give birth to Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, all right? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So Mary is a virgin. She's never been with a man. Um, And she's probably quite young, actually. But she is pledged in marriage along the lines of the customs of the day for marriage and engagement. She's pledged in marriage to this man, Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I just want to point out here, because of Mary's faith and the openness of her heart to play this role, because of her yes to God, which David was preaching on last week, the angel does give her an answer, which is interesting because uh, this same angel earlier in the book of Luke has appeared to a relative of Mary's, Zechariah, who's a priest in the temple, it's Elizabeth's husband, to tell him that they will give birth. And Zechariah is all troubled as well, but he's not able to receive the word that God is giving. Um, and so he actually loses his power of speech. It's like, it's like the angel's like, sit down for a second, Zechariah. Just sit and be quiet, you know, and reflect on this, right? Mary, it's interesting, she's troubled as well. She asks a question as well, which is exactly what Zechariah does. But the angel answers. But it's just like God to give an answer that you don't fully understand, right? So Mary's like, how will this be? And the angel's like, well, God will overshadow you. (laughs) It's like, okay. (laughs) Um, I don't know what that means or how that's going to work, right? But it is interesting. God is pleased to let Mary in on his secrets, to let Mary in on how he's working because her faith creates room, right, for this dialogue with God. It's incredible. Her faith, like, creates room for this, right? The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who has been unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Can we say that last line together? For no word from God will ever fail. Now, I just want to point out to you or remind you of what David said to us last week as he was preaching on the word of God. Again, if you didn't get to hear it, go back and listen to the podcast, but there is some gold in there um, about how God reveals himself to us. David said last week, but it's very true, that if God did not reveal himself to us, if he was not in his own will a self-revealing God, then we very well wouldn't know anything about him, right? But in creation, in uh, visions and dreams, in his word, through angels, God has been pleased throughout history to reveal himself to humankind, right? And there's still so much that we don't understand about God, don't know about God, but what we do know, we know because he has revealed himself to us. I thought David did a great job telling us last week about how when we receive these words from God, these things that God has spoken, that the word that God speaks, I think I have this up on the screen, that the word that God speaks to us has the power within it to complete itself, right? No word from God will ever fail. So God speaks what sounds to human ears like an impossible word, right? Mary, you're a virgin, but you will conceive The power of God will come on you and you will give birth to this Holy One that's been promised through the prophets. That sounds impossible to human ears, but the word that God is speaking has the power to complete itself. And that got me just thinking a bit about what it means to live into this. This was David's main point last week. And I've just been reflecting all week about what it means to actually live into this reality. 
um, to live in the reality that what God speaks, he will perform, that his power is connected to his word as he reveals himself to us. That when he speaks something, this is not like, well, I hope it happens, right? But that God will complete his word to us, right? The things which he has said. I got reflecting on this. This is my own first point today, that God's word comes to us in our poverty. God's word, this word that will perform itself, comes to us in our own poverty. Now, we know from Mary's lineage, her family history, from her social circumstance, from the place where she lives, we know that Mary and Joseph very likely were quite poor. Jesus was born into poverty, like economic poverty. Um, that's where, isn't that crazy? That's where God would choose to reveal himself. That's where God is still often choosing to reveal himself, right? And so it is true, Mary is very poor, probably, you know, in her nation and her culture, kind of at the bottom of the economic ladder, and God is willing to reveal himself in this place. Um, but the poverty gets even more real than that, right? Because she literally does not have the biological pieces that would make for a baby, right? She's half, <laughs> all right? And so there's literally pieces missing here, right? That would allow conception to happen in her, right? So she could carry this baby to full term. She's never been with a man. And so there is literally a biological component missing, from how babies are created, right? And yet, God is often very pleased to not look to what men bring to the table to accomplish his will, but to look toward him, right? And so it is exactly in the space of this poverty where something is missing that God is going to reveal himself, that God is going to cooperate with Mary. That God is going to work with her. In the place where she is lacking, God is going to do it. My kids have me watching Shark Tank. Have you guys ever watched Shark Tank? <clears throat> yeah, so if you don't know what Shark Tank is, it's okay. I actually had never watched it until a few weeks ago, and now I'm like binge watching it. All right, I'm catching up on all the seasons. But I think it's really interesting. There's like these high level entrepreneurs. You know, uh, they're, they call, they're called sharks on the, on the show, and they, they sit, you know, up front in these big, powerful chairs, and people come in and make a pitch to them about a business that they've started, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's so crazy. It's my favorite part of the show is just hearing the creativity of people, right? And so they pitch this business, and then what do the sharks, these big-time investor entrepreneurs, what do they, and they have, you know, they have money to give, to these efforts, if they believe in it, they will purchase part of the company and walk with this entrepreneur so the company can make, you know, millions of dollars, right? Um, and they start quizzing, you know, the entrepreneur that stand, just normal people like you and me are standing in front of these billionaires and millionaires, and, um, you know, they start quizzing them about how much they've sold and how much, uh, you know, what their plans are for the business and how much it costs to manufacture the thing that they're selling and all this stuff. It's just Really, really interesting stuff. I, I think it's an interesting show. Um, but I was thinking about this last night when I couldn't sleep. I was like, the kingdom of God is not like Shark Tank, you know? Like, this is not at all how God works in the world. I mean, more power to that show and those entrepreneurs, and there's nothing wrong with it. But I'm just saying, that's not how God works in the world. Like, this is not how he picks who, who he's going to invest in. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, it's not as if, like, we go stand before God and he quizzes us about what we have, right? Well, what are your gifts like? What are your, how, how much have you done? How much have you, you know, how rich are you? How, he doesn't ask us, he's actually more interested in what we don't have. Isn't that crazy? That that's what creates the space for him to work. When, when it came time for however this worked out in God's oneness and his threeness in the Trinity, you know, when it came time for, you know, the Father to pick a person through whom the Son of God would be born, he did not hold a shark tank kind of addition and see who could stand before him and what they had to bring, right? Um, not at all. Um, instead, he was looking for someone who didn't have all the pieces, economic or biologically or otherwise. He was looking for someone with poverty. Isn't that interesting? That that's where God meets us. That that's where he works. I was thinking about this too. This might not be the main point of my sermon, but it's worth mentioning here. I was thinking that when we think that God works like Shark Tank, when we think that that's how he works in the world, we become sharks to one another. Um, we, we become people who size each other up. Well, are they gifted enough? Do they have the right skills? And we, we're great at spiritualizing this in the church, especially in the way we talk about gifts. You know, it's like, well, they can't do that because they're not gifted. Well, good thing God didn't ask Mary that question. God just gave himself, right, to her. Um, we have a way of looking at each other even through the eyes of poverty and lack and thinking that God wouldn't work that way, right? But all throughout history, God is showing up with people who don't have enough, whose circumstances would not lend itself to him being able to do something in the world, who don't have enough resources, who don't have enough leadership. I mean, this is Moses not having the words to speak in front of Israel. This is Abraham and Sarah being too old to conceive children. I go on and on, right? The normal way God works in the world is he gives his word in the place of poverty. And this is where he creates the new thing. It's in the place of our lack. Now, I was thinking about this last night. I couldn't fall asleep. I was watching Shark Tank, actually. Um, and, uh, and that was all my sermon prep, was just watching Shark Tank. No, I'm just I'm just here. Um, um, but I was watching this last night, and I was just thinking, I, I just long to live, at this point in my walk with Jesus, I just long to live in a place more and more where the, the steps I take, the way I lead, the words I say, the investments I make are not some carefully calculated thing about what I have or you have to bring to the table. But the things that we do are just living in this place where we know we don't have enough. This place where the spreadsheet says there's definitely not enough money. You know, the place where we know we're not gifted and you aren't gifted either. The place where it seems like there's not enough people. Do you realize like so much of the Old and New Testament would not have happened except that God worked in those places? And I just really believe like in 2022, I really think this is something that God is leading many of you. He's certainly leading me into this place of living in this space of poverty. Living in this place where we can just freely admit there isn't enough. I don't have enough words. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough. But that is where God normally works in the world. 
when he speaks his word. It's where we can expect him to show up. I think it's very true for us as a church, too. God, as he's leading us into some of the things he's calling us into, he is not leading us into care. Whatever he's leading us into, if the Bible is true, and I think it is, he is not leading us into carefully calculated places about our resources or giftings or leadership or whatever. I'll prophesy to the degree that you all are willing to live in this place of poverty, of clearly not having enough, God will do far more than what we could ask or imagine. I just think there's an invitation from God in this next season to actually live life in that place as a normal way of relating to God, that this is what he wants us to do. So if you feel poor, I'll say it this way. If you came in here thinking you had it all together, thinking you had a lot to give, that you're actually the kind of person that God really can't use. But if you came in knowing that you don't have it, whatever it is, like I'm going to stand before the sharks and they're going to tear me to shreds, you need to know that God is not a shark. He's a father who will invest in your poverty, right? He's a God who will move in the place where you're lacking. He's a God who delights to work, to speak his word, in these places. And this has to be more than just theory for us or remembrance of how God works with Mary. If God worked with Mary that way, this is how he works with us. This is what God is doing in the world. He loves to speak in these places. And I see that playing out in a lot of your lives. It it really encourages me. And that got me thinking about this, that God's word spoken into our poverty invites us into a posture of pondering, alliteration. You hear it? All the P's. God's word spoken into our poverty invites us into a posture of pondering. I don't know about you, but when God is asking me to stand in the places where I know I don't have it, whatever it is, my tendency is to take a posture of worry. My tendency is to take a posture of control. My my tendency is to take a posture of just saying, oh, God can never do that. God can't do that until we have this much money. God can't do that. Do you know, like, no move of God ever started with those kinds of conversations in the world. You understand that? No revival in the history of the church ever got started by Christians meeting in a room and looking at the resources they currently had and saying, let's wait until we have enough money, leaders. No move of God ever got started that way, friends. Every move of God, including the Messiah being born into the world through the Virgin Mary, God started because God spoke his word into nothingness. In fact, this is how God created the world. He spoke into nothing, and his own word carried the power to perform itself. Right? So that's what God did to get this whole thing started. It's what he's doing now. Right? He's speaking into these places. So I love what Mary does. What a gift her story is and her leadership is. Because in the place of her poverty, she doesn't take a posture like, like her much more experienced religious leader, cousin Zechariah did, who's serving in the temple and was too sophisticated to believe that God could work in these ways. Mary's too poor for that. She knows what she, if God's going to do this thing, he's going to do this thing. Right? Because she sees the limitations, right? And I love this. She takes this posture of pondering. Let's, let's uh, fast forward the story to Luke chapter 2, verse 19. 
This is after Jesus is born. What we'll celebrate this Christmas Eve. We'll read the full story. So you can come Christmas Eve and hear us read the whole story. But this is after Jesus is born. After God did the thing that he said he would do. And this baby formed in her womb miraculously. And she gives birth, cooperates with God in delivering this child into the world. Um, And she is holding this child and angels have appeared to shepherds and announced that this special birth has happened in a forgotten place called Bethlehem. And shepherds are coming and worshiping this baby that she is holding in her hands. I love this, this little verse tucked away. But Mary treasured up all that. First of all, let's just pause there. Treasured. Held on to. You know, said this is the most special thing to me. Treasured what God had said to her. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. David mentioned what this word means in the Greek. It means to chew on something again and again. I, I, I would say her pondering didn't start here, right? Her pondering started way earlier, right? And she just was wondering how God would do all of this. What this meant, and I'll say more about this next week because we'll fast forward the story even more in Mary's life, in Jesus' life, but what it meant that God had taken on human flesh in the body of a baby in her arms just to treasure this, just to ponder it, to chew on these things, to think about them. I wonder what she was pondering. Um, I think of three things, and... uh, I, I have some scriptural proof of this, so we'll look at this in a second. But I think when God calls us into these places, like he did with Mary, where he speaks his word into a place of poverty, I think one of the first things we can do to address our fear, because I tend to worry in these places. I don't know if you do, but that's what I tend to do. Um, I think the, one of the first things we can ponder is our own poverty. Like, you want to live free? Just get in touch with what you don't have. You know what I mean? Everyone comes in to Shark Tank and they're posturing, right? It, it cracks me up. I watched one of those episodes last night. It was like 4.20 a.m. And, and there, was, there was somebody who, the Greek in this passage is important, but so is Shark Tank. So, okay, so, 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 so listen. So, so they asked this person a question, tell us what your sales have been you know, in the last year. And the entrepreneur is like, well, before I tell you that, and then they go on to, because they had sold like nothing, you know? And right away, all the sharks are just like, ah, he's not going to answer the question. You know what I mean? Because when you know that people aren't willing to invest in your poverty, but only in your strength or only in your, well, then you're going to go in and perform, right? And that's what these entrepreneurs are doing. When I watch that show, I'm like, this cannot be, like they're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in investment. I'm like, this cannot be the only investment conversation that happens. Like, like how they verify all this information, and because these sharks are giving a lot of money to this. So like, how do they, you know, verify all the, it's just not what God is like. God's like, you have nothing, so I want to invest in. And I think because God is so eager to meet us in our own poverty, we ought to ponder our own poverty. Get in touch with it. You want to live free. You want to know that God loves you. Ponder how poor you are. Ponder what you don't have. Ponder your limitations, your slips into sin. (laughs) Ponder the gifts you don't have. Ponder the time you don't have. Ponder the things you can't control. 
Ponder that stuff and don't be afraid of it. Just recognize that that's exactly what God treasures about you. It's where he wants to meet you. It's where he wants to speak his word in these places. I think, man, there's freedom in pondering our own poverty. Don't you think Mary was pondering her own poverty when she's, you know, when they can't find a room to give, a proper room to give birth to Jesus in and they end up in this stable? Don't you think she's in touch with her own poverty? Right? But this is where God is working. This is where God's word is going for us. Next, ponder who he is. See, we don't only ponder our own poverty. We ponder his riches. We ponder what he is like. His kindness. His graciousness to us. His, his eagerness to come in close to these things about us. We ponder those things. And then ponder what he has said to you in your poverty about who he is. And about what he will do. Ponder his promises in the word of God, which cannot fail. Ponder the prophetic words that you've received. David was talking about rehearsing those words, the things that have been prayed and spoken over your life. Ponder the things that God has spoken to you as an individual or us as a family on mission. Ponder what he has said. I actually think these are the exact things that Mary did ponder because we have this gift. If we just reverse here a little bit and look at Luke 1.46, we have this gift of a prophetic song that bursts out of Mary's mouth after she realizes how God is working a miraculous birth in her cousin Elizabeth as well. And I just want to read this song. My soul, this is Mary's words. Do you know Mary wrote a portion of the scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit? So don't think just men did it. This is a female author. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, pondering on poverty. He has been mindful of what I don't have. He's been mindful of the resources I don't have. He's been mindful of what I cannot bring to the table to accomplish his will. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For them, We're doing it this morning. This is a prophetic word. We're acknowledging Mary's blessedness. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You see, now she's beginning to ponder on who God is. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, this is what God is like. This is why we can trust him in the places of our poverty. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. This is who God is. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble, this great reversal of how God works in the world. This is saying God does not work in the world through Shark Tank. You know what I'm saying? That's what this is saying, that God has reversed all this. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. And now she's pondering his words. She's remembering, this promise didn't just come to me. It came to our ancestors. God said hundreds of years ago to our ancestor Abraham that he would send this one. She's remembering the promise that actually extended generations until it was fulfilled in her. So she's saying God's word cannot change. 
and it will not fail. She ponders on these things. See, Mary is a ponderer, which is to say that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a wonderer. She wonders, and wonders are worshipers. Mary lives her life with God in this place of wondering. We could use the word awe. Just like all the things that God has said over all these generations, all the ways that he's worked, all the, I do, and I think when Mary is holding the Messiah in her arms, I don't think it's like, oh, oh, now this all makes sense. I think she is just beginning to inch her way into the vastness of God. And she has learned to exist in this place of not having to have all the answers, of not having to understand how all this is going to work out. She's able to just sit in that place, and now it's not a place of worry. It's a place of wonder. It's a place of worship. It's a place, wouldn't it be amazing if the lack in our bank accounts was a place of wonder? God, how are you going to do this instead of worry? Wouldn't it be incredible if the places where we're not good at things was a place of wonder and worship? Wouldn't it be amazing if when we looked at each other instead of devouring each other like sharks over what we're not good at, we were able to see the poverty in each other because we sure do see it in other people easier than we see it in ourselves, amen? Um, If we saw the poverty in other people and we just wondered at the way God would use someone in their lack, the way God would use someone in what they're not good at, the way that God would... Wouldn't it be amazing if all of these things were occasions not for worry or control, but for worship? Because, friends, so much of God is mystery. If God is God and he is who he says he is, there is so much of him that we do not understand. But God calls us to live in that place. Jake, could you come play? Would that be okay? Um, I'm going to ask you to do, yeah, thank you, a song that you played last night. Wink, wink. <laughs> I'm winking, Tim. Up here. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think we're going to sing that song. Um, is it any wonder then that Jesus said that we should be like children in the kingdom of God? Uh, not just, actually, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, didn't just say we should become like He actually said we could, cannot even enter unless we become like children. Let me tell you a story about my four-year-old. Not that long ago, she um, crawled into bed with us early in the morning, which is such a delight. I'm, that's kind of sarcastic, because she's, she's kicking me. It's nice, but she's kicking me in this side. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway she crawls into bed, and sometimes she's like waking us up and stuff, but Actually, this morning, she was, this particular morning, she was sitting really still, and I opened my eyes to look over, and she was just laying there awake, and you could tell she was thinking. She's only four years old, and, um, uh, and very seriously, she said, so I don't know if this will make sense to you or not, but if you've been around Isla, like if you've been her Sunday school teacher or whatever, you know that she uses the word even, E-V-E-N, a lot in like not the right way. But these are the things you just don't correct. You know what I mean? Because it's like you just enjoy it. So she loves to start sentences with the word even. 
So it's like her way of explaining things. So she's lying there and she says, even every night, <laughs> she's like, even every night I go to bed and wish I was a pirate. <laughs> and she said, and then I wake up in the morning and I am not a pirate. <laughs> Dead serious. Chelsea discovered as she talked about this with her later that every night, although she's still doing it, but every night she, was, she had an object in her room. If Chelsea were here, she would tell me what it was, but Chelsea's in the nursery today. Um, uh, she was blowing on an object in her room and making this wish every night. So she'd be like, I wish I'm a pirate to go to, go to sleep. And then she wasn't, you know, she wasn't waking up as a pirate. But it is only children... It is only children who, after being disappointed morning after morning that they did not wake up as a pirate, would still blow on whatever she was blowing on in her room and wish that she was a pirate. If this sounds unsophisticated to you, well, so is the kingdom of God in many ways. Um, This is how the kingdom of God works. See, it's only adults who are too sophisticated for that, who maybe we would secretly try it once and not tell anybody some secret wish we have to be a pirate, but the first time it doesn't happen, we're not doing that again. Looks too foolish. It's only a kid, right, who wonders. It's totally comfortable being in that place, just wondering. I wake up as a pirate? I had a dream the other night. Some of you have heard this, but I don't have very many spiritually significant Dreams. Some of you have a lot of them. I don't have very many. Oh, but let me share with you a quick story here. Um, a few, I don't know when this was. Maybe it was like in the spring. Um, some intercessors in our church. I'm not going to share the whole story. Actually, Steve Rossi and I just got interviewed uh, on a podcast uh, hosted by the Christian Missionary Alliance. So it will end up online somewhere. And Steve does share the whole story. So I'll let you hear it on the podcast. But basically, there was a series of dreams and words and stuff that led some of the leaders here at the Gospel Tab to believe that God wanted to increase speaking to us through dreams. Um, and so Steve calls me. I remember right where I was. I was traveling. I've been traveling a lot in the, in the role that I'm in, multiplying churches in the district. And um, he calls me, and he unfolds this whole story for me that you can hear on the podcast. It's a crazy story, but let me tell you this. If there isn't something in us with God that doesn't have the posture of like, God, I want to wake up as a pirate and can't embrace that kind of foolishness, we'll, we'll miss these things. I would have just dismissed what Steve called me to tell me because it just sounds so silly, right? But the gist of what he was telling me was God wants to increase dreams at the gospel tab. And, um, and so we didn't share the whole story. We often don't hear at the gospel tab, but there was a Sunday where Steve stood here and prayed that over you all. You might not even remember it. Can I just testify? I have never heard or seen so many dreams in the night at the gospel tab as I have in the last few months. Unreal. And even for me, I've probably only had like 15 or so spiritually significant dreams in my whole life. Five of them have been in the last few months. So it's crazy. You know, anyway, let me tell you, let me tell you a a recent one. You ready? I was standing in a public housing project. Um, I didn't recognize it, but I knew it was a public housing project. And uh, it was a place I'd never been before. 
But John Jordan was there with me. A lot of you know John. He brought Christmas to us today by lighting the candles for us. Um, but John and I met when we were 19 years old. We were friends in college. And John and his wife, Gal, were some of the first people, to actually the first people, to move, to move their address, their location from one state to another to be part of what God was doing here. And actually, a lot of people have done that since. But they were the first. And um, so John was with me at the beginning when we were starting to run youth programs in a neighborhood near here called Lenmar Terrace. And we were running these day camp programs during the summer, going on 18 years ago now. And, um, and all of day camp was in the back of my 94 green escort, all right? So I, I literally kept day camp back there. I went around to churches and asked for their leftover children's ministry supplies to give me. Uh, we literally had broken crayons. Um, it, it was a time when all I could think about was the poverty, you know, just not having enough. How were we ever you know, going to make a difference? But John was with me back then. So in this dream, I'm standing in a public housing community where people are experiencing poverty. I don't know what neighborhood I'm in. But John is there, and there was something about the future and the past in that. It's like God's going to extend us into the future in some ways, and then, but some of what was there at the beginning is going to stay with us, you know, as God extends. Do you know there's a whole legacy in Western Pennsylvania of churches getting planted through children's Sunday school? By the way, I want you, I, let me tell you, I'm in the church planning world. A lot of the church planning world is too sophisticated for that today. We wouldn't think that we could plant a church, would we, by starting with children. But a lot of our sister churches in Western Pennsylvania and the Christian Missionary Alliance were started because someone started a Sunday school program in their house or someone started a Sunday school program in their neighborhood. I was just with a pastor in the South Hills whose church was started around the same time our church was. Our churches are about the same age, just over 100 years old. You know how their church got started? A, two couples decided they would start a program, a Sunday school program for kids in their neighborhood. And Allegheny Center Alliance Church, which helped plant this church, and they're still on the north side of Pittsburgh, heard that this was happening in the South Hills. And they had a woman who had served with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Africa. And she was back home, and they sent her to that town to figure out what was happening there. And she organized what was happening there to plant a church. She planted and pastored that church in its early years. But it started with kids. Good thing the people at that church weren't sitting there wondering if they had enough, if the budget was big enough, if they could draw enough of a crowd. It's like, are there a few kids that want to hang out? Let's start there. And let's see that God. By the way, that, that right there is about how most churches got started in the world. It's how the Messiah came into the world. By God working in poverty. Now, actually, we have it all wrong because we think this is Shark Tank. It's not Shark Tank. This is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not like Shark Tank, right? Well, I think an equivalent today is maybe God wants to use after school programs in our region. And Brandy here is beginning to have some conversations with people in Midland and 
Butler and McKeesport and Dorseyville and starting to imagine what it could look like for after school programs to be linked to church planting. It's just a question, like maybe God wants to revive that. Maybe he wants it. Maybe we don't start by being all sophisticated, but we just start with kids. So anyway, in this dream, get back to my dream, I'm with John, we're in a public housing community. And, um, and all these kids come rushing us out of these houses. They just come rushing us. And it used to be like this in Limar back then. I used to not be able to drive my car out of there because my car would just get swarmed, you know. And so all these kids come rushing us. And, um, and they just, we all start to bounce, you know, kind of like the choir was today. We all start to bounce like this. And uh, Jake, I don't, I don't want to get it wrong, but can you just, um, we can just sing it softly, just the chorus real quick. Um, yeah. steadfast I will not be moved I'm anchored never shaken all my hope is in you and then we start to sing this together he's giving hope to the hopeless giving his heart to the broken Sharing his home with the orphan. He is the joy, he is my joy, he is the hope of the nations. The Father's heart we're embracing, and he is the song we're declaring. He is the joy, he is my joy. So here we are just bouncing. This is what the kingdom of God is like. He shows up in poverty. He shows up in what we don't have. I woke up with that song just in my head and on my heart. I'm so glad for the sense of the move of God that we have among us. But don't ever think that God does it any other way than how he did it with Mary. He meets us in our poverty. He meets us in what we don't have. You know, I'm, I'm really in a new role in multiplying these churches, and lately I don't feel like I'm very good at my job. I don't know what I'm doing. I hate that feeling. I'm performance-oriented. I like to be good at what I'm doing and probably better than you at it. It's kind of my orientation. But God has a way of just, like, leading us into these places where you just can't do that anymore. God, how are you going to do it? Well, well, the power of God is going to overshadow you. Well, he's going to meet you in the poverty. Well, he's going to do something. I mean, this is how God works. I don't know. I've been too busy lately. Um, I walked in here really early this morning, and I was walking around the room. You've heard me say this. I've been in this room just, I don't know how many hours, just praying for the tab and the network. And, but I'll tell you what, it occurred to me today as I was pacing this room in the dark that a lot of what I've done in here actually is, it hasn't really been prayer, at least not in the way we think. It is prayer, but not in the way we think of prayer. You know what I've done a lot over the years? It's just wonder. Ponder. Just wonder how he's doing this and how he's using you and how he's using me and how he's meeting us in these places and just wonder. And over the years, 
worry just fades away into worship. It's just amazing how God meets us in these places. So this morning, God gave me a prayer that he put into my heart. It was, God, make me a pirate when I wake up in the morning. (laughs) That's the equivalent prayer to God, start churches through after-school programs. Reach our community. Fill these river valleys with your kingdom and your fire. Heal the sick, raise the dead cast out demons. All those prayers are essentially, God, make me a pirate when I wake up in the morning. And if you blew on whatever you blew on and it didn't happen, it is childlikeness that makes us wake up in the morning again and say, God's word will never fail. God's word will never fail. His word will never fail. I can build my life on this, that his word will never fail. Can you stand to your feet? Let's sing this together. Let's start from the beginning. He's awakening. Sing this to Open me by calling forth my destiny. He's breathing life into my soul. I will thirst for him and him alone he has come like the rain the showers on the barren place so my heart and tongue confess Jesus Christ the hope of This is Mary's song. Sing it out. Sing it out.
does a God like you. Who would make forever blessed a woman who had nothing. Who has a God like you who would do something like that? Who would take someone's poverty, what they didn't have, and make that the place where you did the greatest things this world has ever seen? Oh God, so we're confident. We're confident in what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing among us. And God, there's just something in our hearts this morning, just fill it in the room, that's like, we don't want to live anymore in the safe places. We don't want to live in the calculated places with you or with each other. We don't want to, in our lack of faith, make declarations that aren't true about what you can do in the world. It would have been, God, the easy thing is to be lacking in faith. It would have been so easy for anybody to look at Mary and say, yeah, that will never happen. You've never been with a man. Who do you think you are? How will this, it would have been so easy God, forgive us for thinking that's sophisticated when really that's just easy. It's lazy. God, make us people of this mystery who can live with you in the places where it looks like there will never be enough, in the places where it looks like things are impossible, in the places where we can't see. Let us actually live our lives there. Let's actually live our lives in that place. I just feel you calling us into deep. It's like, do you know how I worked with Mary? Do you even know how I worked with her? This is how you want to work with us. And God, if that kind of poverty could create the space for the Messiah himself, who we have sung and celebrated today for him to come into the world, well, then you can birth all kinds of things through us if we make space in our poverty, if we stop trying to cover it up and pretend it's not there, God, we just, oh, yes, Lord, let us just live in that place. Hmm. And we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. There's so much more.